Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast and being a part of our church family here at New Hope. Our senior pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly, is currently leading us through the entire Bible in a series called The Story. Now here's Dr. Kelly with this week's podcast. How you doing, church? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Bible says this is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice in what? Be glad in it. It is a good, good day to be in the house of the Lord. We want to welcome all of the campuses. I'm talking about the Kenya campus. Yes, we got some of your people over here because you're our people. We are your people. Welcome to the Kenya campus. Bring it on across the pond. Let's welcome the Columbia campus, Sanford campus, Hillsborough campus, Coffee House campus, North Carolina Correctional Institute. I come bringing good news to you today. We, um, we baptized 12 daughters of the king in prison. Come on now. North Raleigh campus, keep it going, North Raleigh! Garner campus, internet campus, Durham campus, and our balcony people. How we doing, balcony people? How we doing up there? Doing good? Hey, let me give you a couple quick hits. Take out your, take out your teaching notes, and you might want to jot some of this down. This is not the teaching, but just a couple of quick hits. I'm going to start encouraging you until it creates culture to when you come to church on Sunday... To actually check in to New Hope Church on Facebook. We are given one of the largest social media platforms with free advertising that you could ever imagine. If you are on Facebook, if on Sunday morning at all of our campuses we actually go in and just click on checking in at New Hope Church. And by the way, we have the bandwidth here, internet, campuses, you're good to go. If we do that with the number of people we have based upon the studies that, that I have received, we can actually go immediately to five to 8,000 people's top feed on Facebook. Imagine your people, your friends, your peeps getting up on Sundays. Maybe they have a hangover and not the holy one. Or maybe their marriage is on the ropes. Or maybe their children's struggling and life is just hard like we're going to study today. And they go through Facebook and they see all their friends are at New Hope Church. Hello. Think about it. Free publicity for the kingdom of God. So, so when I get up to teach on Sunday, I'm going to start saying it. You just grab your phone. I'm not worried about you tweeting. I'm not worried about you, all, you know, doing something bad. Hey, if my preaching is so bad that you daydream and you go do something else, that's fine. You know what I'm saying? But just check in, man. Go um, Another thing, tweet it up on Sundays. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I'm fully convinced that the church is nowhere near tapped into the power and the potential of social media for the kingdom of God. Go ahead and open up your app. If you don't have our app, go to the app store on your phone. You can open up the app. You can get the teaching notes. Um, or you can do the binders, which is what so many of you are doing. So grab your teaching notes that you just received on your way in. Go to the back of the binder. Click it. Oh. Put it in there. Some of you like to take notes on the outside and click it later, but then click it back. Let's get ready to go get this. There are books and there are binders. 
Outside in our resource center, we have now received uh, our binders. You guys have been buying them like crazy. So go get that. And again, I just want to say to all the campuses, Daraja concert tonight here at the Central Campus. We are inviting all of the campuses here. Come on, Central. Would you let them know how much we want them to come? Come on and descend upon Central Campus. There is African cuisine food that is going to be available. And if you want any, if you would like to have some, I highly recommend that you get here early because this group is fired up about eating some African food tonight. All right, so here we go. Here we go. Let's get this thing going. We are, uh, we're pretty much in week four of the story. Started on Easter Sunday. Uh, we started the story with the greatest story ever told, i.e. the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? And then we had an introductory week. Then last week, you will recall uh, that, well, two weeks ago, you'll recall that we talked about creation and Adam and Eve in the garden and the, 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 the message built and built and built until we realized, you know what? God covered us. Even all the way back in the creation story, when God shed the first blood, he covered the shame and the sin and the guilt of Adam and Eve. And then last week, we talked about Abraham. We encourage you to not wear shame, not wear doubt, don't wear fear, don't wear sin. Today, we're going to actually talk about Joseph. We're going to talk about who, church? Joseph. We're going to talk about Joseph. How Joseph basically ascended, if you will, from slave to deputy Pharaoh. We're going to talk about the family dynamics of Joseph. And I don't know if you started to realize this yet, but I pray that all of you are coming in here and you're having read the chapter before uh, you get here on Sunday. If you're reading the chapter like I am, you're actually being reminded over and over and over that God's family was jacked up. <laughs> See, some of you are here and you romanticize God's people in the Bible. You read the book of Genesis. And it is the most dysfunctional family with a capital D you could ever even imagine. I mean, this family is as jacked up as the Kardashians or the Kellys. <laughs> so, I mean, you just, start, you just start with the parents, man. Joseph had three mother-in-laws. Four mothers make up the kids. Of Joseph's family. So he had three mother-in-law, three stepmoms. Imagine. Let me just do a little framing of the, the story in the Bible. Joseph was the son of who? Jacob, also called Israel. Joseph was the grandson of Isaac. He is the great-grandson of Abraham. And just as soon as the family starts to unfold and the parental situation, you start to realize this family is just like all of our families. We have our junk in the trunk. We have stuff, man. We have issues. And I don't care if you came from a solid, amazing family. You should praise God for that. Amen? 
But every family's got stuff that they deal with. One of the things that Joseph's family dealt with very, very early on is that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Hey, parents. Do you have any favorite children? Don't answer out loud. Probably not. We love them all, right? And, and we're most empathetic and there for ones who need us the most. I get all that. But, but Jacob made it known, made it clear that he had a favorite son. His name was Joseph. And to, and to kind of heighten that, to make it clear that he had a favorite son, he gave him a coat of many colors. I just so happened to get one this week. <laughs> Jesus, she says. What you talking about? I'm talking on fleek, baby, right here. <laughs> Right? <laughs> we were that we were at the uh, the Kenyan and Ugandan kids at the dinner table last night and we were talking about today and I was mentioning the coat of many colors and one of them just paused for a moment. He looked up, we were eating outside, he looked up in the sky and he goes, How many colors were on the coat of many colors? And I thought, that's a great question. Look at all you people taking pictures, man. <laughs> talking about social media, this is going out there. He said, How many colors? And then and one of my kids said, Probably seven, Roy G. Bibb. <laughs> but, but, but Jacob basically said to Joseph, you're my favorite. And to, to accentuate that, he gave him a coat of many colors. It would be like, come on, come on. It would be like you at Christmas with your children, if you have children. It would be like you giving all your children a bouncy ball. <laughs> but you giving one of your children an iPad. That's what Jacob does, man. He gives Joseph this coat of many colors, and it's on. It doesn't turn out very well. In fact, the Bible says this in Genesis 37, 4. Genesis 37, 4. Open up your storybooks or your Bible. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Go. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. You got any kids that have a hard time speaking a kind word to their siblings? It gets intense. The dysfunction in the family increases. And finally, Joseph then has a dream. And in the dream, Joseph tells his brothers, I had a dream. Probably was wearing his coat of many colors when he said it. <laughs> said, by the way, by the way, bros, I had a dream. And in the dream, in the dream, in the dream, you were bowing down to worship me. <laughs> so listen, listen, if you're a younger sibling, write this down, write this down. If you have a dream like that, put the shut to the up and keep it to yourself. You don't, you don't share that with your siblings over the Cheerios. 
They turns and says, yeah, I had a dream. And, and check it out, guys. You, you were bowing down to worship me. And it keeps getting intense until one day Joseph is strolling outside. And he comes upon his brothers. And look at what they say. It's on page 29 and 30 of your storybook. Here comes that dreamer. Can you just hear it? Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. They're like, dude, let's kill him. He thinks he's all big and bad in his coat of many colors. Thinks we're going to bow down and worship him. Right then and there. Joseph was in a pit. So the parental dysfunction and the family dysfunction led Joseph into a pit. And one of the older brothers, Judah, one who is Leah's boy, he speaks up. There's always a leader who will speak up typically for that which is right. And he says this, Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come... Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. And right then and there, problems start to unfold for old Joseph. In his bad coat of many colors. Thinking everybody's going to bow down and worship him. And the Bible says that Joseph has some hard times. He sold as a slave to one of Pharaoh's officials. A man by the name of Potiphar. Everybody say Potiphar. Potiphar. Now Potiphar had a wife. We might call her Hotifer. Because <laughs> one thing you can rest assured is that Potiphar's wife would have been a good-looking woman. A beautiful woman. And here is where the drama goes to a whole nother level. Here is where we see the dysfunction of this story kick in the drama begins i'm telling you if i had the resources and the time i would create a reality television show and it would be based upon the life of joseph so he's a slave and he's kind of worked himself up as much as a slave can and potiphar's wife starts to notice joseph now the bible says joseph was a handsome well-built Good-looking man. Hotifer comes up to Joseph. And this is where it gets not even PG rated. I mean, it goes R, man. And by the way, that's why we have this as an adult-oriented worship service. I always like to remind you of that. Kids are in kid-appropriate environments. Can I get an Amen. So Potiphar's wife comes up and she doesn't even mess around, man. She's like, come sleep with me. Let's go to bed. 
right then and there, Joseph is faced with a very big decision. What will he do? And man, I should say to you right now that you will have your lunch eaten if you don't think in advance of what you are going to do when a woman solicits you like that. And women, I would say the same thing to you. You have to think very, very carefully about what you are going to do when sexual sin comes your way. We live in a sex-obsessed culture. And temptations will come your way. What are you going to do? Joseph, strapping, handsome, been in the pit, had problems. When you're in the pit and you have problems, you're more prone to temptation. She says, come on, go to bed with me, sleep with me. And Joseph says this. Why don't you read this out loud because I want this to settle in. It's Genesis 39, 10. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Though she spoke to Joseph day after day. Come on. He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. That was a defining moment for Joseph. A defining moment when he would not let his parent problems, his pit problems, all of his problems cause him to betray God. How about you? You know what I have found as I have been in ministry now for 25 years? You know what I've found in my own life if I'm not careful? I'll let disappointment justify disobedience hello we have a way of allowing disappointment to justify disobedience he said to me she never meets my needs anymore she doesn't care for my needs all she cares about is her work and keeping the house spotless and I never have any intimacy with her anymore and I said, is that why you had the affair? And he said, I'm not sure. But I just knew that I was not getting what I kept praying for over and over and over in my relationship. And so I decided to get it elsewhere. Single people. Single people. You're, you're here. You're at one of our campuses. And maybe you're thinking, I, I've been praying for years and years and years and years for my spouse. And God just doesn't seem to answer. And so I've just decided I'm going to go out and do whatever I want to do. Because God is clearly not going to answer my prayers. Do you see? Disappointment in God has a way, if we are not careful, of allowing the enemy to come in and justify disobedience. And Joseph had every opportunity to do that, but he would not go there. The plot is now unfolding. He is faithful to God in the midst of disappointment. Joseph says to Potiphar's wife, how could I do such a thing and sin against God? Joseph 
is faithful. I'm convinced it's a defining moment in his life. And one day Potiphar's wife, after she's been turned down by Joseph, she takes the whole drama to a whole nother level. She says, come to bed with me. He will not do it again. And this time, she grabs his coat. Could you imagine grabbing something so beautiful? <laughs> she grabs his coat, maybe pulls him to her. Joseph still, in the midst of that kind of temptation, won't have anything to do with it. So he comes out of his coat. She grabs the coat. The drama, the plot thickens, if you will. Here's what's interesting, though. Potiphar was the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguard. Bodyguard literally would be translated executioner. So her husband, Potiphar, was the chief executioner for Pharaoh. They take old Joseph after his wife, Potiphar's wife, lies with the coat in hand. They throw Joseph in prison. So his life has unfolded from a dysfunctioned family to a pit to problems to prison. And there he sits. I got a question for you. Have you ever been punished for doing that which was right? Have you ever found yourself following God, doing what is right in a situation, and yet you were still punished? Of course you have. You're in good company. That's a great place to be. He's in prison. Here's my $64,000 question for you. You ever thought about this? In a life of difficulty and challenges. You ever thought about this? Where was God? In the midst of your challenges, in the midst of your pits, in the midst of your problems, in the midst of your prisons that maybe you self-imposed. You ever wondered where's God? Where is God in the midst of such disappointment to John who's on his third round of chemotherapy after losing his wife to cancer just a few years ago where's God in the midst of that to Jackie whose husband left her for another woman while she's pregnant with her first child where's God in the midst of that by the way, these aren't made-up stories. These are real-life stories that I know about. To Heather, who grew up being abused and now struggles with cutting. Where's God? Where's God in the midst of disappointment? To Jane, who, who takes care of her 16-year-old daughter who was paralyzed when hit by a drunk driver. Where's God? 
Where is God in the midst of disappointment? Where is God when you find yourself in the pits and the prison of life? Where is God? Because if you can leave here today understanding that, you will understand the story of Joseph. And thankfully, the Bible doesn't leave it to us to figure out on our own. Genesis 39, 2. Genesis 39, 2. I want you to read it out loud with me. Genesis 39, 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Again, come on, church. The Lord was with Joseph. One more time. The Lord was with Joseph. You know what's amazing? It's as if the Bible says, I want to make sure you get this. That's verse 2. You go to verse 23. What do you think it says? Verse 23. That's right. You got it. The Lord was with Joseph. So Joseph's in prison. There are two people in prison with Joseph. There is a cupbearer and there is a baker. When Joseph's in prison, he starts, he was the one who dreamed, remember, he starts having this ability to interpret dreams. Later on, the cupbearer would get out of prison and he would realize that Pharaoh was having dreams and they needed, they needed an interpreter of the dreams in the palace. The cupbearer recalled, you know what, when I, when I was in prison, I met a guy by the name of Joseph. And he could interpret dreams. Pharaoh calls for Joseph. And we stumble upon verse 39 and 40 of Genesis 41. We're just making our way through a big chunk of scripture. I'm just pulling out highlights for you today. The Bible says this. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning. And wise as you, you shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are submit are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. How does that happen? Because you see, Joseph now ends up in the palace. From slave to the palace. How does that happen? It happens when a man or a woman puts God first and even in the midst of difficulties and problems, they say, I will not betray my God. I will remain faithful. I will stay true to God and I will do my time. And God has a way then of taking us to the palaces of life. Come on now. Come on. And here's what you need to know. I'm running out of space, but I think I got this. It's in the palace. It's in the palace where you realize your potential for God. You see, people want to go to the palace without the problems. Hello. See, your problem is, some of you, you want the praise in life without the process. 
You want to get to the palace in life. You want to reach your potential. That's why you're here. You're good people. You're in church because you want to do something with your life. Way to go. But often what we want to do is we want to shortcut everything and get right to here when God said, no, 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 no. I want to see if you're going to be faithful in the problems and the pits and the prisons of life. I want to see how you're going to handle the difficulties of life. And when I see that I can trust you in the pits and the prisons of your life, then I'm going to take you to places you've never even imagined. Thank you, Lord. And when you realize what God is up to, and you start to see the way in which God takes the most unlikely candidates, He takes the most improbable candidates... And when he sees that they're faithful, he then lifts them up. He puts their feet on higher places, if you will. And when you start to understand that God is in the midst of all of that, listen closely. When people do you wrong, when systems of injustice do you wrong, when life does you wrong, When you know that God is up on the upper story, connecting all of the dots, even when you're down here in the midst of the lower story where life is hard and you're in the prisons and you're in the pits and people are beating you up and people are lying about you and people are doing you wrong and spouses are doing you wrong and, hey, life is doing you wrong. When you realize on the lower story that God's doing something on the upper story. And that that he's in the midst of it all, and he's protecting you, and he's guiding you. You can reach a point of spiritual maturity. And you can say, as Joseph did in Genesis 50, let's read it out loud together, Genesis 50. Come on, you need to read this one strong. You intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. Again, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Listen to me real closely, church, as we wrap up. God certainly didn't cause the brothers to sin by selling Joseph into slavery. Some of you need to get past that theological hurdle. You see the unfairness of life. By the way, fairness ended in the garden. Next time your, your kid says, that ain't fair, you quote pastor. You don't even have to say it yourself. Put it all on me. I say it to my kids all the time. Fairness ended in the garden. You don't want fair. If we had gotten fair in the garden, we would have died, done, end of story. But God covered them, remember? Some of you need to stop blaming God for all the jacked up junk in this world. God didn't cause the brothers to sin by selling Joseph into slavery, but God redeemed it. Hello. God didn't cause Potiphar's wife to sin by lusting after Joseph and then lying in an attack, but God used it to build his story. God doesn't cause the devastation and the destruction and the hurt and the pain on planet Earth. He gave us free will and choice, and we've jacked this thing up. 
But God can and will redeem the junk of our lives. Here is what God does. That's what God doesn't do. God is not the author of all of that. But here is what God does do. He takes all of those decisions and all of those broken pieces and all of those disappointments. And he says, I can work with that. I can work with that man. I can work with that woman. I can work with that student because their heart is yielded to me. And when he starts to put his goodness into our badness, that's when great and mighty things happen. What you intended to harm me, God has used it all for good. Sound familiar? Sound familiar to one of the most popular quoted verses in all of the New Testament? Romans 8, 28. You know it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So the next time someone stabs you in the back, lies about you, hurts you, or some system does you wrong, let me tell you something. You just need to lift your eyes to heaven. Say, oh, you think you're getting the best of me. You think you're going to have the end of this story. But I know Jehovah God who works all things out, who meets all my needs, and who is working in this upper story to bring about good in my life. Thank you, Lord. So I want to show you a video. I normally don't show these kinds of videos. But I believe it's a great opportunity to show you a video that I believe will stick with you and show you exactly what I'm trying to teach you today. Because there's nothing that grabs our heart more, is it, than having children. And there's nothing that that we desire more in our lives than to have healthy children. And we want the best for our children. And there are times, though, when, and maybe you're here and this is your story. Or maybe maybe you're at one of the campuses and this is your story. Maybe you've tried to have children and maybe you couldn't. And that's a painful, painful. Or maybe you've tried to have children and you had a a child that the culture would say was not a good child. Was not a healthy child. I'm a big fan of science. I'm a big fan of the medical field. I'm not one of those Christians who thinks it's all bad. I, I, no, I, I, don't, I don't think science and Christianity are mutually exclusive. I actually think science is great. I was a pharmacy major. I love science. I just found out that the more I studied science, I would get to that place where there was nothing that could fill it in but God. And so I don't want you to take what I'm about to say to, to actually, I don't want you to misinterpret it. I'm a fan of science and I'm a fan of doctors and when we were having our children, I'll never forget the first time this happened. Um, we were down in the lower story, right? We, we were having our children, and God was blessing us. And, but I'll never forget one time the doctor came in to the, the waiting office area where we had been taking tests and stuff all day. And he offered to take another test on our child that was still in utero. Amy Lynn was still carrying the baby. She was pretty early in the pregnancy. But science is advancing so much these days. The, the doctor was trying to say it without really saying it. Hey, we have this test that we can now go in and, and take. And from 
analyzing the test, we can discern and know the percentage that your child might come out with downs. And um, when, when, he, when he said it, it kind of threw me for a loop for a moment. And so I just kind of went quiet as he kept talking. And then I realized, wait a minute, I need to ask a little bit more here. So I asked a few more questions about the test. And, and, and then I asked this question. I said, well, help me out, Doc. Why, why would we want to know that? And I'll never forget it to this day. And again, I, I'm, I'm fans of doctors and nurses. Man, they helped us deliver five children. I say us, her. They helped her <laughs> deliver. <laughs> but I, I, I said, Doc, why would we want to do that? And he said, well, some people, once they find out that information, if there's a high percentage that your child might have downs or several other things he listed, if, if there's, a, there's, there's families now, parents now, that once they know that information, that they're able to just take, take care of that. I, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, some, some folks choose to go the abortion route. I said, I said no offense, Doc. Time out. I said, no offense, but... Um, we're not interested in that test. The world will try to convince you that pits and problems and prisons are to be avoided at all costs. God would want to remind you today that it is in the pits and the problems and the prisons that he does his greatest work. God would want to tell those of you today, come on, we want to tell those of you today who might be in a dungeon, who might be having pits and problems and persecutions in your life, he would want to tell you, invite me into that. Let me show you how that is where I do my greatest work. And I watched this video this week, and I found myself bawling in front of my computer screen. I don't, I'm not one of these kinds of people who sends things around to people, but I, I immediately sent this to all the staff at New Hope. Check it out. If there is anything as pure as joy, it's a child's imagination. Imagination somehow, some way, become real. That's a joy, perhaps, only a child can create. How do you think you look? You think you look like a hockey player? Yeah. Liam Fitzgerald was born February 16, 2006. 
it was evident there was something wrong because the room floods with people. Honestly, it was the most frightening child I'd ever seen. He looked like he'd been in a street fight. Liam was diagnosed with Down syndrome, a genetic disorder marked by physical and developmental delays. I looked up at Bill and I said, I'm sorry. And he looked at me and he said, what are you sorry for? You gave me a beautiful son. And that just made everything okay. What kind of red? kind of color is that? Is he red? From the day he was born, he had a specialness to him, and I don't know if it was the Down syndrome or if it just was who he is. His personality, his, his smile, once he started smiling, forget it. By the time Liam was three, he would face a new challenge, leukemia. In the winter of 2009, he began a four-year treatment plan that included aggressive chemotherapy. I feared most that he was hurting and we couldn't do anything about that. I didn't want Liam to know what was really happening yet because he was so young. He had an external Broviac line, which comes out of the chest as he was so small, and he got a couple of infections in that. Where was your port? In this part of your chest. How did it feel? <laughs> Seeing him being poked, prodded, multiple sticks, same arm, and to see him take deep breaths and focus, to me, was the definition of toughness. In May 2013, seven-year-old Liam took his final dose of chemo, and Dad took a picture. What does this say? I the butt. What is it? As Liam's strength returned, so did something else. And show Nikki there's a football too. I think that most of his sports passion probably came from me. The losing. Game over. And then the game would be over. <gasps> uh. I didn't like that. Yeah. All of a sudden, everything was hockey, and the Bruins became part of that. My way hot me now. I think that there was something about the action. Action all the time with hockey. And it's amazing to me that for a child that, in, in, in a syndrome, that can sometimes be marked by slowness or a delay in some areas, he just stays with it no matter what. I'm watching you. You gonna get the air? Yes. Okay, get some air on that. Nice yeah. shot. Sometimes I don't even get a hole. I always just do you want to play hockey. I find myself in the knee hockey net on, on most occasions. Me one. Me one. No goal. No goal. Not just cheering and playing, but also imagining, as Liam did for Halloween in 2013. He said, I want to be a hockey player. I said, Who do you want to be? Let me move out of my way. That year, the oft-injured defenseman was in his fifth season in Boston. Not exactly a star, 
McQuaid was averaging just under two goals a season for the Bruins. Made it, dressed him like that, took him to a couple parties, took some pictures, posted her on social media like everyone does. My sister had seen a picture that uh, of him dressed up for his Halloween costume, and I was kind of taken back that you know he would want to dress up as as me and try to reach out and, and thought it would be uh, pretty neat to meet him. The Bruins arranged for Liam to attend a game later that season. There, he received fan of the game honors. And afterward, he headed down to meet McQuaid. You know, I, I was actually surprised with how comfortable he was with me for you know, meeting someone for the first time. He just has this instantaneous thing that kind of, you know, he makes you happy. How do you feel about Adam McQuaid? Happy. When you see him, what do you tell him? I love him. But it was this season when the bond became public. On November 4th, 2014, when an arena camera spotted Liam at the garden. And he sees himself on the Jumbotron, and he starts blowing kisses and waving to everybody. And this is before the game begins. And he knows, because his brother Nick taught him, go down by the bench early, get in the, by that tunnel, and you're going to get fist bumps from the players, or sometimes just high fives, because he can't reach over the edge. The director of public relations looks at me, and she recognized him, because we've been to several games. And she said, can he sit on the bench? Team officials moved Liam onto the bench for a better view, and that's when it happened. Bit them. The fist bump. I'm watching him. Bill's watching him. We're like, look at this. He's getting all the players. And I mean, every player, as they come off, he's got his fist out, and he's getting them as they come off. And then the next day, Christine found again online someone saying and reaching out saying, isn't this Liam? Someone took the video of the fist bumps and posted it on YouTube. By the next day, the fist bump kid was born. Within a day, million views. By the time it was all said and done, the last count I saw was 5.5 million views on that, that original YouTube video. I think initially it was really just the cuteness factor. Especially the beginning, he's shaking his hand, gets hit from Campbell. I got some grief. I just kind of stuck my hand out there. I didn't really realize it was, uh, it was hard, but his reaction was just, uh, it was amazing. I always told myself, like, oh, I'm the Bruins' number one fan, and now my brother actually is, like, the Bruins' number one fan. Here you go, get dressed. Hmm? Too long. Too long? Yeah. Yeah? Got your hat? No, wait, wait, what? first. I'm ready. Let's go. You're happy. That's good. Three weeks after the viral video, Liam headed back to the garden for the first time. Yeah, I know. I'm ready. Where, you're ready. You're ready. For the game, we got to go on the bench. Say hi. You sat next to you last time. All the players coming in. We're really excited to see him again. It's Marcy. Yeah, <laughs> 
<laughs> he never fist bumps Campbell. He always thinks he's going to hit him too hard. No! Last time I heard you, remember? <laughs> the game went into overtime. Do you remember that? Yeah. And what happened? Here's the pass to Hamilton. He closes. He scores! Dougie Hamilton! Who did you see after the game? All at Good to see you, buddy. Hey. Hey. What's going on? I saw you on the bench today. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, buddy. Yeah. You're a good luck charm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, some knuckles? Thank you. You remember him? Hey, I hurt your hand, remember? Yeah. I'm sorry about that. Ah! Got me back. Dear Adam, thinking of you and hoping you feel better soon. From Liam. Thanks, buddy. You get a hug? Oh, Appreciate that. It's amazing how something can take off like that. Well, I saw you on TV a lot. You're pretty famous, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, just to get a little bit of recognition, and I know that when he comes to games, everyone knows who he is. If there's anything as pure as imagination, it's joy. Huh? You're Derek Jeter? But when that joy becomes real... Please join us in congratulating Liam, who now has his very own Upper Deck Hockey Card. That's something only a child can create. He'd come so far, he'd battled so much, he hadn't lost his joy, he hadn't lost his appreciation. He was given to us to raise, but he was given to the world to love. And I see that come out, and I see the Bruins love him. I mean, he brings out the best in everyone. I loved how, um... I think maybe my favorite quote was right there at the end when the mom says, he was given to us to raise, but he was given to the world to love. And different parts of the world would say, that's a child that's nothing but a hassle and heartache and might as well be discarded. You were led in worship this morning by the most beautiful children on the planet who have lives that have grown up in slums and family members in slums not American slums no you need to go on a missions trip and see what a real slum is and people would say whatever right 
This is, this is what God does. He takes the ashes of our lives, the pits and the prisons and the pains and the hurts, and that's where he does his great work. And I just hope you're reminded of that today. Because what I know every Sunday when I'm speaking is that some of you, just, you're just in the midst of it. Some Sundays I'm in the midst of it. Can't always talk to you about it. But ours is a God who will never leave us. Ours is a God, if we will have eyes of faith, if we will remain faithful, if we will look to God and not to our enemies, God is a God who will never, ever leave or forsake you. And we're going to sing about that right now. It's a song titled, Never Once. And even though you might be sitting here, you might think God has let you down and God has not been there for you and God has hurt you and God's put you in a jacked up world in a jacked up situation. Dear sir, dear ma'am, I hate to break it to you, but you are sadly mistaken. Never once has he left you. We just sometimes don't recognize him. We just don't trust him we we can't quite see it all clearly but the bible says one day we will so why don't we sing it as a foretaste today i'm going to ask you in just a moment to stand where you are and i want you to sing this out and even if you don't believe it to be true just try singing it and imagining that it is. Just imagine that it's true. Because I can promise you, it is. In honor of Liam, as you stand, fist bump somebody. And let's sing about the faithfulness of God. Thanks for being a part of this week's podcast. If you have any prayer requests or praises, we'd love to hear from you. Just email our pastors and staff at prayers at newhopenc.org and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of New Hope, just stop by one of our campuses or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. We hope you'll join us next week for the podcast and thanks for being a part of our church family.